everybody here. Welcome those online. We're going to continue our study in Amos. We'll be in Amos chapter 4 tonight. So let's go to the Lord and just ask him to speak to us. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for those who could come, for those who might see this message online or watching the online stream. And just pray that your word, Lord, would um, come alive. That's what we always ask because we know it's a living word. But we need to be having our minds and our hearts in focus to you so that this word can come alive in our, in our hearts. We want to grow. We want to know more about you. We want to know you. We want to be in that relationship. So, Lord, as we go through this study and see what was going on in Israel in their day, we always see the comparison and the parallel of where we are today. So I just pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, give us wisdom, discernment, and understanding, and we thank you for your spirit here to guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our last study in Amos, back in chapter 3, we saw Amos was prophesying to both Judah and Israel as though they were still together. You know, at this point in history, they were now separate. The northern tribes of Israel were separate from the tribe of Judah, so you had these two different religious groups there. But, but Amos was speaking to them as one family. And that's one way he worded them, as being the family of God. And we saw that God was telling them through Amos that while they were religious and practiced their religion, they weren't walking in agreement with him. You have to walk in agreement with the Lord because if you're not walking in agreement with him, you're not walking with him at all. It's all for naught. It's all show or all religion. And there's what really separates the true church from the false church. The false church is very religious. You'll find the most pagan people that call themselves a church are the most religious in town. They do a lot in, in the community. They do a lot here. They do a lot there. They're all works-based. They're all about their, their works and their religion. But the true church is all about the relationship. And so that means that we're engaging with the living God who's given us the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And then his word, the full counsel of God's word, rings true to the true church. And again, that's, a big, that's where you can see the difference. The true church is one who says the full counsel of God's word is true. The full Bible, everything is true. The false church says only the good things or only what we want to hear or only this and that. And they pick and choose. Well, you can't pick and choose the Word of God. The minute you start doing that, where's the test of saying what's truth anymore? So you have to take it all or don't take any of it. But this is what was going on even with Israel at the time. And again, it's the same for us today. Many are walking out their religion, but they're not walking with the Lord. If you deny or avoid certain scriptural truths, all in the name of growing the church in population... And loving on the surface through works, if you're doing all of those things, you're not growing the kingdom of God. You're growing people or population, building the buildings and growing the buildings, but you're not growing the church because the church only grows when they feed upon the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit then teaches them all about who they are in Christ. Now Amos... He told the Israelites and, the Jew, and, and, and those of Judah at that time, he said, God would bring judgment, and it's coming. 
But he also said in that text that we read the last time, he said every time God gives the warning, God always gives warning before he brings judgment. Always. And he's been giving warning for a long time. The alarms were going off in their day. The alarms are going off in our day. The warnings are there. But many are, are ignoring the warnings. They're still hanging on to their religion, but they're not interested in hearing and learning about Jesus. So those who have an ear to hear, let them hear what the Word of God has to say. Now these next three chapters are going to address Israel specifically. He's going to call them out. He's going to show them how God has tried over and over to bring them back to himself. And over and over they refuse to return. So let's begin in Amos chapter 4 beginning with verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through the broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will, you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At, Gil, at Gil, Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord. I'm going to stop there for a minute and ask if y'all have any thoughts on what we just read here so far. He's calling someone out. He's calling someone out. Calling them out. Yeah, he definitely is. Mm -hmm. But he's 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 like making fun of them. He said, "Go go to Bethel and try." But Bethel was the religious center, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Exactly. Is that where Abraham? His covenant with yeah, and what he was telling them, he says, "Come and do all these yeah. things that you that you you say is good, that right. you want to do, that you enjoy doing." Right. And I want to get to that in just a second, but Amos is using not so nice words when he says, "Calls them cows of nation." Mm-hmm. He's yeah. speaking. He's speaking to the women. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was and also a, he was also a farmer and a herdsman. So and, and he was he, using he that term for that purpose. Yeah, it grew him out exactly. Like a, now, there's one commentary that was really interesting. And I love J. Vernon McGee. Yeah. I listen and I read to some of his, and I was reading his commentary. I also read David Guzik. I read two or three commentaries. I was, I was studying over this. J. Vernon McGee is the only one that took it in a different way and said that, or talked homosexuals. He said that they were homosexuals. And he said in that day they were practicing it. And that he was, and so he was referring that that whole thing as a calcification, like in a sense, like a trans, transgender type thing. But he's the only one that went that direction. So I really, I don't really feel that that's the direction it needs to go. But not saying it couldn't. But all the others are basically saying what he's doing is he's basically saying Israel, at this point, they were fat and happy. And here's what happens in their, in their culture. It happens in our culture today. And this is not degrading toward women. It's just a fact that we have to grab a hold of is that in the world, the husbands 
who make the money a lot of times. Women make money now too, so don't take what I'm saying is it's, it's all men doing this and women. But in their day particular, the husbands did, they made the money, the women benefited from the money, and then they demanded more. And it was never enough. There was never enough. In other words, yeah, you've given me these fine garments. You've given me this fine jewelry. You've given me all this stuff. Now, I want more. It even goes on to say, what did we read? It says, um, bring, me, uh, bring wine. Say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. So he's speaking in the, in, the, in the female gender form. He's speaking to women here. And he's calling them cows of Bashan. And basically, again, he's saying, you're strong. You're, you're, you're fat. You're happy. And you're driving your husbands to bring more home for you so you can have more and enjoy more. But this is where it's led. It's led to a place of religiosity because now you have all the prosperity, but you've turned from God. You've turned from God because of all these things that are given to you. And so he, he's basically calling them out, specifically the women, but the men too, because they're doing exactly what their wives are telling them to do. You want more? So what was happening is not only were they doing just religious things, they were also then becoming oppressive to others to gain more to bring home so their wives were happy. And, I mean, this is, this is what it says. This is the whole context of what's happened here. But it didn't just affect the families. It did, then when it affects the families, what happens? It affects the whole body. The whole body of Israel was affected because individually their hearts were turned. And this is what happens. And so he tells him, he said, listen, he said, because you've been doing this, and because you've been oppressive, and because you're having all these demands to, to get more, he said, you're going to be taken away with fish hooks. <coughs> now, if you know the history, the Assyrians would often use hooks and put in their nose or in their mouth or lips or whatever and lead them along when they took them in captivity. And ultimately, believe historically, they believe that within 40 years this is exactly what happened. They, they carried them off with fish hooks. So the one thing we do know that Amos' prophecy was about 40 years out before it took place in the literal sense of Israel in that day. But it goes beyond that day. It goes to us here today as well. But what it says here, he says he starts to speak to them with sarcasm, almost mocking their religiosity. He said, come on, come down to Bethel and transgress. Come and, and, and multiply your transgression at Gilgal. Bring your sacrifices every morning. Keep doing what you're doing. You, you feel good about yourselves. Keep doing it. Do these sacrifices. Do all the things. And, and then it says, offer sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, which was interesting because Israel was to use unleavened bread. They were not to have any leaven in anything, but they had already crossed over yes. to where they were using leaven at this point. So he's mocking that too. Go ahead and do it. And, and since you're using leaven, knowing you're not supposed to, bring it. And then he goes on. He said, proclaim and announce the free will offerings, for this is what you love. You love practicing your religion, you children of Israel. So he's basically saying, keep doing what you're doing. Keep pretending. Keep saying you're all okay because you're walking in prosperity. You're walking in the blessing. You're walking in everything you're supposed to get from God, but you've turned from it. And wasn't it Gilgal where Jesus got crucified? No, that was called God. Oh, okay. yeah, but similar name, very similar name. Yeah. But but the thing is, is that 
they were all, he was basically saying, go to these religious places and do what, you keep, what, what you've been doing, but judgment's coming. Is he saying you've gone too far, so go, go further because yeah. your punishment's already been... Yeah. yeah, now, we know that God has always, particularly in the book of Isaiah, when we went through the studying of Isaiah, we saw continually God's judgment was spoken forth, but he always gave them a way out. If you will return, if you will repent, if you will turn back to me, then these things won't take place. Did that with Jonah and the, and, and the Ninevites right. even. And they were pagan land. He said, listen, go in and preach to them. Jonah obviously didn't want to go. He didn't want God to relent. He knew God had mercy. God is a God of mercy. But see, here's what we have to understand. God is also a God of sovereignty. God is a God who knows all things. God knows all hearts. He knows when they've crossed to the line to where they're not going to turn back. But he gives them the warning. And again, four years went by before the, 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 his judgment actually took place. But he won't tread on their free will to, to sin. Right. Exactly. He will not. He will give you free will. And this is the wonderful thing about the full aspect of who God is. Yeah. He will not override our free will, so he, we can never say we're robots programmed. We still have a choice, but in that choice, he says there's going to be consequences in the choices that you make. There can be wonderful consequences with the blessings, but there can also be judgment if you don't return and walk in the path of which I've called you to walk. And so he's saying judgment is coming. And this reminds us, think about this, take us back to Exodus. Take us back here to where Moses now has come. And Moses is, um, is now up on the mountain, okay, with God alone. And he's been there for over 40 days. Mm-hmm. So what happens? The Israelites get impatient. The Israelites get worrisome. The Israelites say, well, something must have happened to Moses. He, he's dead. So let's build our idol. And let's worship God through this idol. And so they collect all the jewelry. And this is basically Exodus 32, verses 2 through 6. And it says, And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden rings. Now this is something I'm not... Aaron must have been afraid of the people at this point. Sure. Because, I mean, they were getting really rowdy. And he said, Okay, all right, break off the golden earrings which are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. The God that performed all those miracles, the God that spoke loudly, the God that had the smoke, the fire, and everything. And he had all of that going on. And what does he say? When they think he's dead, they turn and build a calf to worship. said, This is the God. This is the God. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day. And hear this. They offered burnt offerings. Mm -hmm. They brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Mm -hmm. Same thing that was happening here in Amos. They were eating, drinking, and let's all be happy. Now, 
let's fast forward it to the season that we're in today. Luke 17, 26 through 27 says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. They ate and they drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And so the parallel that we're seeing with what was going on in Israel during Amos' day, it, it, it reflected back to what was going on back in Moses' day, and it fast forward to what's going on in our day. Now we have a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will God wink at the sin of the United States? No. Will God just say, well, I, you know, I, I'm just going to let that ride. I'm going to let that slide. No. God has already got a plan. Mm -hmm. He sent. He put everything to effect in the final plan when Jesus came. Yes. Came as the servant. Came as the sacrificial lamb. But when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and after he ministered to those on earth for, for those few days, and then ascended into heaven, interceding for those who, who receive him, he's interceding for the saints, the next step of the plan is for him to return. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be when that judgment will be put into effect. The judgment of God is coming. Now, I believe personally that there's still an aspect of God's judgment. You can call it consequences, if you will, before his return. And this is where we have to really, really keep our eyes focused on the word of God, on our relationship with Jesus, and understanding the difference between persecuting the church, persecution of the church, should I say, and the judgment of God. There are two different things. And many people, particularly here in the United States, and in, in the church in the United States, well, Jesus is going to come before we go through anything bad. Jesus is going to return before the outpouring of his wrath. But there's nowhere in Scripture that says Jesus is going to return before the church goes through persecution. And this is going to take place. This is going to happen. And so we as believers need to understand the difference because they get, we get wrapped up in the end times and we mud it up. It's all muddy. And we've been taught so much of a passive, prosperity, believing gospel in the United States for so long that all you have to do is pray the simple prayer and it's all good. You don't have to worry about anything else ever happening to you. And that's not biblical. We're going to face persecution as the church. We need to be prepared for that. But also, I believe that there are consequences, which you can call consequence or judgment, based on the actions of a people leading up to the end times. And the United States has turned from God. Many of the other countries have too. But we've turned from what we were founded upon. We were founded on Christian principles. Those principles have been pushed aside. Pushing God out of the government, pushing God out of the schools, pushing God out of everything you can push Him out of, but still wanting His blessing. Mm -hmm. Well, again, we don't know when His return is going to take place. Could be any time. We know there's certain things based on what we believe about the end times that still have to take place, but the, even the timing of that could be happening with what's going on in Israel today. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how this is all going to play out in the timeline. But if they do drive out Hamas and they take back over 
the Dome of the Rock and they take over everything here, they can build their temple. Yes. If they push everybody out of there. I don't know that that's going to happen. I'm not prophesying it's going to happen. But the end times prophecy says that there will be a temple built and the Antichrist is going to enter into that temple proclaiming himself God halfway through that seven year period. So we know that's going to take place. Whether or not the Antichrist comes on the scene before the temple is built and we're all taken, the church is taken to be in heaven before that, or we, he's introduced, we see him, but we don't, we're not under him. Again, a lot of things we don't have all the fine details on. But what I'm saying here is that our culture is doing the same thing that Israel was doing back then. We have turned from God, but yet we want his blessings. We're practicing religion. You will find that majority of the churches in the United States that are full are prosperity-type churches. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that burst in at the seams. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because they're going for something for themselves. What can I get out of this? What kind of blessing am I going to get? And I want to get this positive mental attitude. They get a motivational preacher, giving them a motivational speech, throwing in a couple of scriptures, and they're good to go for another week. But they don't have any real foundation. The true church needs a real foundation. So let's continue on. Verses 6. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, there's something we, um, in, the men's, in our men's Bible study, mm -hmm. Proverbs, about the, uh, the seductive woman. Yeah. One of the lines she says, I've made my evening sacrifices or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So dress up, you get enough religion, and it goes the other Enough religion to make things look good. Yeah. Or, or to appease your conscience enough. And I, that's what we've had for many years. Uh, coming from the Northeast, <laughs> if you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Mm -hmm. If you're saved, you're saved. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that much going on, even though it was there. But down here in the South, there's a lot of tradition. Yeah. Churches, and it's, it's fading. Even that tradition is fading. Because this, I guess, is the buckle of the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt, yeah. The, yeah this right, is yeah. the buckle of the Bible Belt. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that shine of that buckle is fading. But, you know, people have tradition. You know, I go to church, I go to church, but yet they, you know, you got the Sunday religion versus what goes on Monday. Right. Mm -hmm. So. And again, it's 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 a lot of lot of, tradition is a very key word you use. Tradition outranks relationship in the South a lot. You'll have people that will their their testimony is I was born in this church. My mom and daddy got married in this church. My granddaddy built this church. And so they go to the church that's a family tradition. But they're not growing in their faith because it's more about this is what I'm supposed to do. This is part of my life. You see, here's the difference. Jesus is not supposed to be a part of your life. Jesus is supposed to be your life. And there's where the big difference in the, in the separation comes. Because, you know, it's just like, and I've said this many times, you know, if, you're, if you've got the bumper stick, sticker that says Jesus is your co-pilot, then you're in the wrong seat. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Jesus is the pilot. You're supposed to be riding with him. He's not just riding along with you. But the Holy Spirit does dwell within us, and the Holy Spirit brings us those convictions when we're listening. So let's move on, verses 6 to 11. I also gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Now, I just want to make a mention of what that really means. He didn't say give them all toothpaste and toothbrushes. <coughs> and, and we'll see as we get further into this. Cleanness of teeth in all your cities basically is what he's saying. 
is I, 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 I took away your food. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't have dirty teeth because you couldn't have anything to eat. Uh, and lack of bread in all your places, yet you've not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you. When there were still three months to the harvest, I made it rain on the city, on one city. I withheld rain from one another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew. When your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees, the locusts devoured them. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with a sword along with your captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come up on your nostrils, up, up into your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Look at all the times that phrase is repeated. I gave you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And these opportunities weren't easy ones. They were, they were, they were challenged to them because there was, God was saying, listen, you've got all this wealth, you've got all this stuff. I'm having to do these things because you've not repented. You've not turned from me. You need to turn back to me. And after all of these things that he allowed to happen to them and brought upon them, they would not return. Now, that's a rebellious people. That's a rebellious people. Any thoughts that you all glean from these verses? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like you said, the, uh, there's been warning after warning after warning. And he even brought up the verse about as it was in the days of Noah. Yeah. And even uh, that was a shadow of, um, I know there's different opinions and stuff like that, but that was a shadow of the rapture. Uh-huh. And the um, God shut that door. Yeah. And so when He comes down with all these warnings and stuff like that, you know, people are going to be uh, surprised, shocked, or whatever else. But God had given all these warnings. Yeah. So. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, there will be many that will scratch their heads, not seeing it coming. They're not going, even though the Word of God is full of these warnings. God continues to give us these warnings over and over. And not only does he give the warnings, but in this case, what we read through verses 6 through 11, he brought a level of judgment, and they wouldn't return. But think about this. In the book of Revelation, there, there's a couple of verses that, that tell us very plainly that when God is pouring out his wrath upon the ungodly, and they have these loathsome sores, they're wanting to die, but what are they doing? They're cursing God. In the midst of that, they're cursing God. They will not repent. They will not turn to Him. Pride. Pride. Also, it's generational. If if you see, when I was growing up, everything was closed on Sunday because you were in church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we prayed together. I knelt at my mother's knee to say my nighttime prayers. We prayed over every meal because we ate together. If you don't get that as a parent, you're not going to pass it along. And so that's watering down everything. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, uh, relationships shift over time as, as priorities change. 
relationships change, relationships change, then the relationship with Jesus changes and how you learn about him and all of those things. It is a process. It erodes and erodes and erodes and erodes. Um, here what we see is Israel is a stubborn people. We're a stubborn people today. But 2 Kings 17, 13 through 15 says this. It says, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of the pro his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers in which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Verse 14, Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around, were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. See, one thing that Israel did, and this is this is human nature. We can't, we're not here to beat up Israel, because we have to look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. But Israel had a had a continual problem, and that was pride. Number one, but number two is they wanted what others had. They kept looking at other nations and saying, oh, we want to be like them. Okay, so this is when they got their first king with King Saul. They, they rejected uh, Samuel's message, and they rejected God. And, and they said, we want a king like all the other nations have. And, and Samuel was upset, went to God with it. God said, don't, don't take it personal. They're not, they're not against you, they're against me. And said, here's what to do. Tell them they're going to get a king, but tell them this is what it's going to be like. And he did, and he told them everything was going to happen, and it did, over and over and over. You know, Saul was not a good king. And then from that point on, they had kings, good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings. Good kings. It was like a roller coaster, yo-yo, you know. But as they went through, they were short-sighted. They were looking at the moment, not the big picture. Again, let's fast forward to today. We today are short-sighted. We're instant gratification people. We want instant information. We want instant results. I remember, of course, I don't know, y'all may know if it's still around. I haven't seen it in years. I guess it's still on the shelves. Instant coffee, y'all remember instant coffee? Yeah, they still got it. It was in the, six, the 60s and 70s is when it really got popular. Yeah. Maxwell House. <laughs> Maxwell House, instant coffee, yeah. I mean, you know, it was just like, you know, pour, put a spoonful in your cup, pour hot water, and you had coffee. And that was the beginning, signs. the 60s was the beginning of the turning point, really, in the United States. But that's where everything became instant. And then you had your TV dinners. I still like some of them. You know, you know, but you had your TV dinners, and it, it took the pressure off the, the the home. You know, you can eat within fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah. You know, in the last, uh, I guess, three, four, five years, you know, you always, you hear people talking about now the Bible is just it's old school. You know, we don't have to. You know, you don't have to live by that. You know, we have we have our own lifestyle. Yeah. So. Their rebellion is basically we don't need the Bible. We we do all this on our own. Mm -hmm. So that's the world's mentality now. Yeah, that's right. 
and they want everything right now. And so, and, and again, you can pretty much get it that way. Instant grits, instant oatmeal, instant everything, in, instant powdered eggs. <laughs> Never like powdered eggs. Powdered milk. Of course, it sits on the shelf for a long time. And I remember my mom used to use powdered milk because it was inexpensive and you could keep it. And, you know, you do what you have to do in the financial aspects that you go through. But the point I'm making here is that we all we all have the same fleshly problem. We're short-sighted and we want everything now. And so when we're talking about a relationship with God, God is looking at the big picture. He sees well outside of our ability to see and hear. And so we have to be really careful not to get tripped up into this movement of fast, got to have now mentality because then it reflects into our relationship with Him. And then it reflects our prayer life. God, you know my problem. I know you got an answer. You got till 3 o'clock because I got to go to work. Or you got till 2 o'clock, you know, kids get out of school, fix this problem. I want it done now. And then what happens when we don't hear or get an instant result, we blame God. God's not listening. God's not hearing my prayers. Woe is me. And we become grumblers and complainers. The very thing that Paul wrote about not to do is what we do. Even He even said, listen, I'm giving you all these examples of what happened in the Old Testament with Israel so you learn what not to do. <laughs> I'm giving these as examples. They were complainers. They were grumblers. They weren't thank giving of thanks. They were not praising God. They were always looking for something. Oh, we don't have any water. God let us down. We don't have any food. God, I'm tired of manna. Give me meat. So he gives them all the quail they can put up their nose. <laughs> and then they're tired of that. They want this. They don't want that. Then they're, they're thirsty, so Moses got so frustrated with them that he got in trouble with God over that. One time, God says, hit the rock, water come out of the rock. The next time, God says, speak to the rock. And what did Moses do out of his anger because the people were grumbling, complaining? He took the staff, he hit the rock, and said, must we bring water out of this rock for you? We. We? <laughs> Who's we, Moses? It's God. And that very incident cost him yes. from going into the promised land. Mm -hmm. It was the attitude of his heart. Had he got angry and let his anger get in the way. Even Moses had issue. We all do. Mm -hmm. We don't look at these examples anymore. I mean, I did for a while when I was a younger believer. I looked at Israel's problems and said, man, they brought all this stuff on themselves. And then God finally brought me to the point and said, go look in the mirror. Look at all the problems you brought upon yourself. You're no different. Mm -hmm. We're all the same regarding the fleshly nature. But because of who we are in Christ now, we have a new nature. We're born again. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, as long as we're in this tent, we're not able to see all the newness yet or hear all the newness yet. But it's done in Jesus. It's already accomplished. He's already done it. And so now our faith is that I'm becoming that new person. I'm becoming the new man. I'm becoming the man of God that I'm supposed to or, or the woman of God for you ladies who you're supposed to be. It is a process. It's not instantaneous. Even those who, who met Jesus, like Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul had to go through a long time of training before he actually became Paul the Apostle. I mean, there were years that went by, but he was instantly changed, instantly converted, and instantly his zeal was for Jesus. 
But he still had to grow. He still had to learn. But many today, will they'll have a testimony. When I got saved, uh, I gave up alcohol. No more ever did have another desire for it. Now, I was a drunk in the gutter every night. Or I quit smoking. Never had a desire for it. I gave up drugs. He took it. I was little. And those are wonderful testimonies. I'm not begrading or belittling at all. But I do want us to understand that those people who were delivered from those things had other things that they still had to work through. They're still in this fleshly tent. And that's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, you know, you must die to yourself. Paul wrote it over and over. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is a relationship that we're surrendering moment by moment, day by day, which means we're growing closer to being who he wants us to be. And by faith, we are who he wants us to be. But we still have to grow and move forward and not get bogged down in the moment. And this is what Israel was doing, is that we're getting bogged down in the moment. We tend to do the same thing. See, God's hand was continually trying to draw them back to himself. He wasn't doing these things to harm them. He was doing them to protect them. If you return to me, I'm going to protect you. But they wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. And all of these times, you would not return. You would not return. You would not return. And here's the reality, and this again applies to us today. In reality, Israel would rather suffer at his hand than to surrender to it. That's a stinging, stinging word, isn't it? But how many today in this world and in our culture are the same way? I'll suffer at God's hand before I'll surrender to it. That's not a good place to be. I want to come to that place in my life. Lord, I'm surrendering it all. I don't want to suffer at your hand. I don't want to suffer because I brought these consequences upon myself. Now, persecution is going to come. We're going to suffer persecution from Satan, from the world, because the world hates Jesus. They hated him. They're going to hate us. Jesus said that very specifically in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. You're gonna, but he said, what do you do? You pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And we pray for them. We give them over to Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're going to change in that moment. It doesn't mean there's an instant, instant release. But what it means is that we have that peace then that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we're going through that persecution or whatever it is. So we're not any different today than they were then. We'd rather suffer than submit. And that's not what God wants. He said, listen, I don't want to put the end of the fire. I don't want you to have to go through this. But you've drifted. You're, you're, you're going back into the old life. You're going back into the old way of the world. I want you to see that there's nothing there for you. And he will do what he has to do to draw us back, just as he did for Israel. In verses 12 through 13. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel. Now, this is, these are some hard verses. Because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is, 
and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. Mm. Firm, strong declaration from God. Pure love, though. Mm-hmm. Through love. Pure love. Pure love. Absolutely. But who wants to hear those words when you're in rebellion? Prepare to meet your maker. What are your thoughts on these verses, on these last two verses, or any of the verses that we've covered so far? Well, I have a question back to what you said about J. McGee. About, about what? J. Vernon McGee. Yeah, yeah. Could he have picked that up on verse 11, where he said, I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom. Why would he mention specifically yeah. Sodom? Because we know what was there. Yeah, it could be. And that may be one of the key places that he picked up on that. I was just really surprised because yeah, I've read, I've, I've followed a lot of his reading and that, he's the first time I've ever seen him outside of the the realm of what mm-hmm. you would normally see. But, but that was his take on it for sure. Yeah. But you're right. That very well could be part of it. Yeah. They were an opulent society in Amos' time too and certainly that could lend itself to other activities yeah well Sod- I mean you know basically Sodom and Gomorrah uh, are pretty much you, you can read Romans chapter 1 and where it specifically says you know because you have chosen this because you've rejected me I've turned you over to a debased mind for you to do the things of which you want to do and that's where he speaks about men with men and women with women and all the sin of that. Well, that's where Sodom and Gomorrah had come. They had already come to that place to where it was all pleasure seeking their own. They had already turned over to a debased mind. There was no way to save them. God knew it. He snatched Lot and his family out because they were hesitant. Yes. I mean, the wife didn't even want to go. She turned her pillow salt because she rebelled and looked back, but she didn't just look back to see what was going on. No. She turned back longing to go That's back. Right. And so she was turned her pillow salt. Lot and his two daughters, however, were the only three mm-hmm. that escaped the entire destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what was it that Abraham... Abraham knew what God was going to do, and he was, he was asking, well, well, what if there's 50? If, there's only, if you find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you turn from your anger? And he said, okay, if I find 50. Well, well let me speak. How about if you find 30? I don't know how many times he went down, but he went down to 10. I mean, you know, started at 50, and I'm going to negotiate God down here. I'm going to work with him until we get down to 10. Couldn't even find 10. And so he brought the destruction. God knows the heart of all people. And this again, this is a hard truth, but it's a, it's a truth we have to grab a hold of. God is never wrong in what he does. He's perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect in his righteousness, his holiness, his judgment, his sovereignty, his all-knowing. He has all everything. He's perfect in all of it. Our finite minds don't always understand that. Well, why is he allowing this? Why is he allowing that? Why is this going on? And we can bring the whole war in Israel to, to the forefront. Say, why is God? Why did God allow Israel to be attacked? Why did this take place? Well, we can look at it from a couple of perspectives. First, number one, yes, they're his chosen people. We see throughout history of his chosen people, he brought judgment upon them. Many times, completely drove them out of their land and put them in captivity only to bring them back and restore them. 
Now, they've been restored as a nation since 1948. Here they are. Are they following God? They're following their religion. Judaism. But they're not following God. Because if they were following God, their God, the God of Judah, <laughs> is the God of the Gentiles. But the bridge is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if they don't believe in Jesus, then they're not following God. It goes back to what we said in the very beginning of this and what we covered last week. If you're not walking in agreement with them, you're not walking with them at all. Now Israel is very, they have a lot of religion in Israel. A lot of Judea. I mean, they're very, very locked in. However, if you really think about it, Israel as a whole is also turned very pagan. There's a lot of homosexuality in, in, in Israel now. There's a lot of paganism that has entered into Israel as well. Now, is God bringing a judgment on them right now? It could be that he's bringing an awakening to them right now in preparation for what's coming. But I still believe he has his hand upon them. And I believe he'd restore them in that land. And I believe he's going to keep them in that land until Jesus returns. Now, if you look at Matthew 24, I didn't mean to go off on all this, but Matthew 24, this is my, my personal thought. So I'm not telling you it's an absolute. You may have a different view of this. But I believe Matthew 24 was written specifically to the Jews. I believe Jesus was talking to the Jewish people when they wrote Matthew 24. So a lot of the prophecy and a lot of things, and then he says, hey, when you see these things taking place, you'll be fleeing to the mountains, you'll be fleeing in, in separation, one will be taken, one will be all these things. I believe he's talking about the Jews will be fleeing during that time when the Antichrist takes control. That's how I interpret that particular passage. So understanding that, if you look at that from that perspective, we're not there yet. But the stage is set for there. We are set for that. Now you look at what's going on in the Middle East, you look at what's going on around the world. There's no other nation in the world that is persecuted by other nations more than Israel. They're probably one of the smallest nations on a population standpoint. And I heard this statistic this week, that out of all the hate crimes that go on against religious groups, Israel being the least in number is 51% of what happens. Anti-Semitism is 51% against the Jews and uh, rather than 13% against this group or 12% of it. And there again, every nation in the world, even the United States right now, we have a government who on the face is saying they support Israel, but I promise you, we have a lot of anti-Semites in our government sitting there. Some of them are talking boldly. Some of them are putting on a face right now, but they don't support Israel as a nation. They just know that they cannot defend what happened to them with Hamas. So they're taking a strong stand by saying what Hamas did was bad, but they're still trying to restrain Israel in yeah. some ways from defending themselves. And so it's, it's really, it's, 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 it's like tiptoeing around. But all the Middle East hates Israel. Russia hates Israel. They're funding Iran. Iran's funding Hamas uh, and all these other, uh, you know, places over there. Now, are all the all the um, Islamic people bad people? No, most of them are deceived, and most of them are controlled. That's the saddest part about this whole thing. 
I've heard a story today that Hamas is keeping people from escaping into Egypt. Yeah. They're, they're not letting, they're, they'll kill their own people if they try to leave. Now what, what is with that? This is an evil group of people that has controlled the rest of the people, but the rest of the people have allowed it. It's not that they don't disagree with the, with, 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 not, again, a lot of them do, but some of them don't disagree with what Hamas believes. They just don't want to be a target, so they'll just go along. But we have all this going on. Where does all this leading? Everything that happens around Israel has a spiritual connection. It has a spiritual connection. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, even though the Lord's, even though, even though the Lord's dealing with Israel personally, mm -hmm. but also believe that also the Lord is also getting the armies ready. Yeah. Getting the enemies ready because, he, you know, his, his will is going to happen no matter what. We can't stop it. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the whole thing we have to keep into perspective, that this is a stage being set for the next act in God's play, if you will. When he moves the next time, it's going to be because of this, and it's going to be... But we don't have all the picture yet, so this is another area that we have to be careful, that we don't take every news report and make it a prophetical thing. Because this is where many people, and I've seen it over the last 40 years in Christianity in particular, people writing all these books, this is what this means, and this is what this means, and this group of nations mean this, and this, and this is what it's all going to happen by 1980. Right. <laughs> 2023 now, right? Yeah. It didn't happen. How did they miss it? Because they took the news stories of the day and got all hyped up on how they linked that to scriptures. Listen, nations rise, nations fall. So for us to say this is one of the ten, or this is one of the three, or this is one of this, and this is this horn, and that nation could be wiped out, and somebody else take their place before God moves. So we have, to be, we have to be careful. However, with that said, we have to be wise right now and read the seasons. And we've never been in a place like we're at today, spiritually speaking. And we're in a dangerous world, a dark world, and it's getting darker. And I cannot see how that we're not leading closer and closer to that, that verse as it was in the days of Noah. Because how was it in the days of Noah? It was worse or as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. But it was worldwide. Eight people out of all the population of the earth on that day. Eight people. And Norman alluded to this and, and it's been referred to many times. That was kind of a sign of the rapture. They were taken out as the world was destroyed and God poured out his wrath upon the world. He spared those eight and then of course, you know, repopulation of the earth but but think about it you know for God to bring that kind of judgment it was depraved they there was no hope for any of the rest of the people in the world none if there had been he would have spared them and there was a line that they crossed where yeah. they could not be saved that's right the, the last verse here he's had to establish who he is over and over again in Job he says who is this that darkens the hall of my counsel it, and then he lists what he, what he is, what he's done. I, I created the mountains. I can make the mountains go. I, I have a storage house for the snow and the hail. Mm -hmm. And he does that in his final, final verse too. Yeah, that's right. And, he's, and he gives the warnings. Yeah. And, he, and, not, and then he gives them a history lesson. Yes. And gives them more warning. 
Give us more history lesson. All through scripture we kept seeing. Even, even going to Stephen. Stephen, the first martyr. What did he do? He gave him a history lesson. Yes. Right before they stoned him. <laughs> you know, this is, this is the history of, of our people. All the way back from Abraham. Went all the way through their whole storyline. And then, but your stiff-necked people have turned against and killed the Messiah. That got them all riled up. First martyr, they cast him out of the city, stoned him. And what did he say? I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Boy, that really made him mad. No, Jesus, we killed Jesus. You ain't seeing nobody, but he saw Jesus. And this was kind of interesting. We talked about this one night on our Tuesday Bible study a while back. That's really one of the only references in Scripture you see Jesus standing right now. All the other references, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But Stephen saw him stand. I believe he welcomed him. Stephen, yes. come on. Now again, I think I said this recently, if everybody who dies and goes to heaven, if Jesus stands up and welcomes him, that's a lot of sitting up and standing down. <laughs> but, I'm Catholic, we did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of kneeling up and down. But at the same time, God is a big God. <laughs> and I have no doubt that he greets you face to face when you get to meet him in heaven. So anyway, that's, that's interesting. So... Um, one of the final thoughts that I had is I went to Hebrews 10:26 through 20 or 26 through 31 and it speaks to the church and it says for if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries adversaries I'm sorry anyone who has rejected Moses's law dies without mercy on the testimony of one or, or two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, it's not a fearful thing to be welcomed into the hands of the living God. Because I believe His arms are open for those who are receiving. But for those who aren't and won't, it's a fearful thing to fall into His hands. See, we're not going to fall into... The only way we're going to fall into the hands of Jesus is if we just fall into Him in, in, in a love fall. You just just really just fall and he embraces us. But this is not what this is saying. To fall into the hands means that you've had opportunity to receive him and you rejected him. And now, you don't want to meet him that way. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to what we said earlier. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Mm-hmm. So the question that I have for us tonight, and we can have a few more comments before we close, but are we prepared to meet the living God is the church today prepared to meet the living God I'd say that most people you ask that question would give you a yes a lot of them would say well I hope so I think so there are some that would say yes I'm, I'm prepared but even in that you take it a step further well why how, how, are you, how do you know you're prepared what assurance do you have and that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where Christian and talk 
differs from Christian in walk. Christian in talk is, well, I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody, never murdered, never stolen. Well, that one candy bar, but that wasn't a big deal. I was only six, so what was that? Age accountability. Yeah. <laughs> you got all these things that they'll put out for you. You know, I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't cheat, don't run around, don't all these things. So I'm, I'm a decent, I'm a good person. God's going to accept me. No, He won't. Not on those terms. Not on your works. But if your answer is because I was a sinner that had no hope of redemption to a living God but Jesus came and took my place on that cross he took my sin so I didn't have to face judgment he took my judgment for me and he died took that took that sin and then he rose again on the third day and he ascended and he's with the father and my heart is with him and I have the Holy Spirit and I have the word of God that's my assurance and that's my hope now there's the answer to yes I'm sure I'm going to heaven but many don't have that. It's, again, it's tradition. Well, I'm going to see mom and daddy when I die. Well, how do you know they were believers? Well, because they went to church. You know? It's not enough. Going to church. It's not enough. Being with other Christian people is not enough. Those are good things. If you're a believer, you need to be fellowshipping with other believers. But, And, and it's, it's actually told we should. But... That's not what gets you into a relationship with God. It's a surrender. Israel didn't want to surrender or submit. We, as a people, don't want to surrender or submit. And it's only those who choose to and are willing to, as the Word says, um, be doers of the Word, not just hearers only. Those are the ones who have the assurance. We have to ask these questions, you know. Number one, for our own, our own sake, but then for others. Because we, I know there are many people who claim to be believers that they have no walk with Jesus at all. Mm-hmm. And they need to hear. You don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God. You want to fall in the hands of a living God. You want to fall into a loving God. And He's given you that opportunity right here and right now. And it's really important. That we, that we understand these things. Any final comments from anyone before we close? Well, my, my ministry in the gym, <laughs> I have to say exactly what you were yeah. talking about. Went up to a young man uh, just yesterday and uh, got a question. I always ask him, you know, if he died here in the gym, where would you wake up? <laughs> and I feel like I'm about to. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's always, the, what do you mean wake up? I said, you either go to heaven or hell. So where would you wake up? I, well, I think I would wake up in heaven. And I said, why? And then he goes through the whole litany. Mm-hmm. And I said, and who is Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, well, if you know Jesus, and you're going, reading your words, reading the Bible, and you can't be sure about where you're going, why is that? Because he doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. I said, Jesus came to, to what? I said, he died on the cross. And I says, why did he die on the cross? for our sins. I said, no, he died for your sins. So your sins would be taken away. And you're pure and holy then because of his death. And I says, do you, you know of anything in the Bible that sets it, gives us the assurance of going to heaven? Yes, there's the word in the Bible that says, if you believe in me and trust in me and follow me, you will, you will 
given the, the, yeah, given the opportunity to go to heaven. And I said, also, I said, I said, you know, there are verses in the scripture that talk about that. You went there to prepare a home for us. And I said, why, why don't you have that assurance? And then he said, I guess I better start listening a little bit. No. I guess I better read the Bible. I said, yeah. I said, I'm not trying to scare the heck out of you, although I am. That's <laughs> <laughs> not fear motivation. Yeah. It's reality <laughs> motivation. Right. So, I mean, and, and that's, that's repeated time and time and time again with elder, 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 elder guys like myself. I, you know, they, they don't catch that connection with yeah. what, what he did for us. Right. Yeah. And, and if they do connect it, it's like in a general way, not a personal way. Yes. Because most people don't really look at themselves as bad people. They don't understand that what the scripture tells us is that we're all born into sin. We're all born with a sinful nature. And today in the culture says, no, we're all basically good people. Just some choose to be bad or some do bad things. But in the core of even the worst of the worst, there's, there's a good person there. Always look for the good in them. Sometimes there ain't no good to be found. And the truth is there's never any good to be found. But it's not to be cynical. It's the realistic fact that it's because of Jesus that we have a relationship with the Father that we've been redeemed back. And without Jesus, no matter what we did or do, it's never going to be enough. Yeah, Yeah. yeah that's like you always say, you know, we're, we're all children of God. <laughs> that's not exactly. true. Yeah, we're all part of God's creation, but we're not all children of God. The only way you're a child of God is if you're adopted, adopted into the kingdom through Jesus' blood. The only way. And that's 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 what the Bible teaches. So we have to grab a hold of that. We have to walk with it. So, so today, may I, as, as I was teaching, I was with a, a, a really really tough classroom, and the teacher and I were talking after, and I said, you know, we're seeing demonic. She said, yes, I know. I didn't know she was Christian, and she said, can I? We were talking about. She said, of course, Satan's here. We kicked him out of our schools. We don't let let people pray. And she said, can I share a story? And I said, sure. She said. They have a sensory room in all schools now where the really, really difficult children go and they can bang things and just get everything out. So they were dedicating their new sensory room and the, the principal said, we're gonna pray the Holy Spirit over this sensory room. Oh. And he called on everybody who wanted to come to that sensory room. And she said, we thought we'd get about 10 people. She said there was not enough room and it was the size of a classroom for everybody in our school stands shoulder to shoulder we were like this praying and it went on and on and on and she said you could feel the presence and those children who go in there now she said I know I'm walking into the Holy Spirit uh -huh. Wow is that amazing yeah what school was that that was Kennesaw Elementary okay yeah yeah a lot of people now you know again I do believe there's a lot of pagan teachers there's a lot of pagan mm -hmm. uh, overseers in the schools and that's not my phone so don't worry about that um, but um, hush when the pastor forgets to turn his phone on sound I know we're all in trouble are we still streaming no um, but the thing is is that when you look at the whole aspect of what's going on I do believe that God is still raising up godly teachers and substitute teachers in that realm yes and there may be a lot more. Here's the other thing, too, is the school's hands are tied. Many of the teachers' hands are tied. Mm -hmm. They can't proclaim their faith, but they're still there. That's right. but, we can't be the mouthpiece, but we can be his hands and his feet. That's yeah. right. Amen. Yeah. And so, it, you know, God is still working in the midst of all the Absolutely. evil that's out there. Absolutely. But the evil is still there. Yep. 
And it's growing because the darkness is going to continue to get darker until it's time. Jesus said if you swept the house clean and haven't put me in or the Holy Spirit in, that demon's coming back with more. Yeah. And that's what we see. We see these children totally out of control. Mm -hmm. I got pinched so hard today, just pinched so hard Mm. that I I have a huge black blue. And and they're nonverbal, but they're just screaming. And those are the kids that go in the sensory room. Yeah. I'd help them escort in there real quick, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boot them in. Right. That's why you're not in the list. That's why I'm not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Connie, do you have another Just real quick. Just that, that story about the prayer. Remind me of just, there's a verse that says, judgment is a strange act. You, God has to be pushed pretty far to get to that place. And just that one holy end illustration came to mind during the whole thing. Like when, when the angels was pronouncing, I sent the, the, the drought, I sent the mildew. When we moved down here a couple of years, there was a drought here in Georgia. And Sonny Perdue was the governor at the time. And he proclaimed a day of prayer. Oh. And he read a prayer, you know, very generic prayer, but read a prayer. And that was like, wow, what, that would happen in New York. <laughs> no. <laughs> Where are we from? And it rained like a week later. We got rain. Mm. Yeah. It, was wow. a, it was an act of mercy. So, it's, you humble yourself even on that level. Right. Yeah. If you, if 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 if, if, if my people, mm-hmm. if we humble ourselves, right. yeah. God is just eager to show mercy. Yeah. Well, and you know, today you hear that prayer quote a lot. If my people mm-hmm. will humble themselves mm-hmm. and seek my oh, face and return from their wicked ways and. Mm-hmm. Um, if you apply that today, he's talking to the church. Yes. You're not talking to the world. The world aren't his people. Right. He's talking to the church. And that's where a lot of times people get their religious re- religious beliefs mixed in with their patriotism. Mm-hmm. And they believe that, well, because we're the United States, if my people, meaning the United States, were to turn from its wicked place. Well, I do believe if, if the United States was turned from wicked place, it would be a godly response. But the church is who's got to turn first. If you want to see any type of revival in the nation, it's got to start amongst God's people. Because that's where it's going to flow out of to the world. But the church is not really seeing themselves as needing revival. They're looking at the world as though the world's got to change. But they're not looking at themselves as being the light to help that happen. We're the light. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Don't hide it. Don't cover it. Be the light. Let the chips fall where they may, but be who you're called to be. And let him do the work. So by the